You're listening to Culturally Speaking. This is Janice. And this is Neha. And we're here to talk about all things cultural. Okay, so today I want to tell you about Korea. So predominantly ancient Korean culture, but we'll probably touch on some more modern things as well. And I guess very natural question before I start. What do you know about Korea? Ancient Korea, not so much, other than it's quite closely tied to, I assume, ancient Chinese history, from what I know. Mm -hmm. And modern day Korea, I mean, K-pop, obviously. Yeah. And I'm just obsessed with Korean skincare. That's about as much as I can tell you. Okay, fine. So you know how with a lot of cultures, a lot of countries, there's a lot of mythology around who was the founder of the country, how all of that happened. So in Korean mythology, the founder um, of Gojoseon, first of all, let me say sorry to all native Koreans because my pronunciation is probably going to be horrific, but I'm going to try. Is Korean significantly different to any of the other Asian languages or are they all derived from one base language? Because I'm thinking about Indian languages and they all come from broadly the root of one language, like all Latin based languages all have the same roots. Korean language to my knowledge, right? I don't speak the language, but I grew up watching a lot of Korean drama. And what I've observed is they do use, you know, similar to Japanese language, they do use Chinese characters sometimes. And some of the pronunciations, as you mentioned, ancient Korea is very closely linked with ancient China. So I have noticed words that sound similar. So I guess it would be the case of if I heard a Korean sentence with subtitles, I'll be like, oh, we've got the same word. You know, so when someone's just talking at normal speed, I probably won't pick it out. But with subtitles, I probably will identify quite a lot of similar sounds. Yeah, makes sense. But from what I know, I don't know if you know what Korean characters look like, but each of the little parts actually work like the English alphabet. So I think each little part is a sound, and you put them together to make a new sound, and that forms a word. As opposed to in Chinese. In Chinese, yeah. which doesn't work like that at all. Yeah. Okay, so back to the first kingdom of Korea is Gojoseon. And the founder is someone called Dangun Wagyom. And in present day, this is actually in a place called Liaoning in Manchuria, which is the northern part of the whole Korean peninsula. So that's where the original kingdom started. The entire myth is very much based on the fact that Koreans have descended from the Lord of Heaven directly. Now, this guy's ancestry begins with his grandfather, who's called Huanin, who is also known as the Divine Regent or Lord of Heaven, a name which apparently also appears in Indian Buddhist texts, and is actually an alias in Buddhism for the name Indra. Which I found super interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. So he is the grandson of one of the four men of heaven, and he's considered a direct ancestor of the Korean people. Now, Huanin had a son called Huanong. So this is now the father of Dangum, 
the founder, who longed to live among the valleys and the mountains and, you know, just live in the open. He was allowed to do so with 3,000 followers to Tebak Mountain, where he found Sinzi, which means the city of God. With the help of his ministers of clouds, rain, wind, because, you know, he is from the heavens, he instituted laws and moral codes and also taught humans various arts, medicine, and agriculture. So this is, I guess, the beginning of, you know, the human side of Korean history. Uh, but in this myth, this, this gets a bit weird, um, a tiger and a bear prayed to him that they may become human. Upon hearing their prayers, Hwanong gave them 20 cloves of garlic and a bundle of mugwort, which I had to Google. What is I that? I thought, you know, it sounded like a word from an Inet Blyton book. So apparently it's a herb or a weed that people used to, you know, treat stomach and intestinal problems with um, irregular periods, etc. So I think generally abdominal issues. Um, and I also saw somewhere that this is a mild psychoactive herb. <laughs> so <laughs> this, yeah, a bit weird. Um, so they were told to only eat the sacred food. So the garlic and potentially this drug, <laughs> and remain out of sunlight for 100 days. The tiger gave up after about 20 days and left the cave, but the bear remained and transformed into a woman. Mm. Now this... Yeah, so I don't know if the tiger was meant to become a man. I don't know. They didn't say where I read it. But So the bear woman made offerings of gratitude to Huanong, but since she was by herself, right? She didn't have a husband didn't have a partner with her she became really sad and prayed beneath a divine batula tree for the blessing of a child moved by her prayers huanong actually took her for his wife and then they later had a son which is dangun so the founder of korea dangun ascended to the throne and then built the walled city of pyongyang right which is now the capital of north korea and called the kingdom joseon he then moved his capital to a place called asadal on uh, Mount Begak. I have no idea where any of these places are, by the way. And fun fact on this point is that there is a Korean restaurant in Holborn, right next to the tube station, called Asadal. I've been and there. Super tasty. Yeah, I would highly recommend. Very good food. So anyway, that's the. I guess that's probably why they call it the restaurant that. It might be a very popular name because of this myth. So the founder is descended from. Yeah. His mother's a bear, and his father is one of the gods, almost? Or descendant of the gods? Yeah, so his grandfather is Indra. Yeah. Right, the equivalent of Indra. And his father founded a city in the mountains and married this bear woman and gave birth to him. This is a very interesting take on, like, you know, when you hear Adam and Eve. I know. In Christianity. I'm really interested to yeah. know what time this is set in, like what century we're talking. Ah, so I have a, I have a answer to that. Uh, but let me continue first with the same, I guess, timeline. So 1500 years later is when Dangun moved his capital to Jiangdangyong. And then he returned to Asadal and became a mountain god at the age of 1900 and eight years old. So I'm just going to let that sink in. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm thinking about that timeline. You know, maths is not my strong suit. So <laughs> so he lived a 1,500 years, 
moved his whole capital city and then became a god of the mountains. Correct, after 400 more years. Um, and I'm assuming when he did all of the things before, he wasn't a child. So he's probably about 2,000 years old. Um, and actually, when I was looking into this, I wasn't, you know, I'm not like a massive history buff, right? So I wasn't really aware that apart from AD and BC, there is also BCE. Uh, until 1961, the South Korean government actually calculated years from the birth of Dangun, which was 2,333 BCE, to give you perspective on time. And then the 3rd of October in Korean calendar is actually known as Gyeongjol, which is the festival of the opening of heaven. It is a national holiday in the current Gregorian calendar, which they celebrate as the National Foundation Day or Dangun Day. So when I looked further into how society worked, um, there seemed to be quite a lot of similarities with Chinese beliefs when it came to things like geomancy, you know, how structures should be built. For example, a house is believed to be best built against a hill and facing south to receive as much sunlight as possible. Now, to my knowledge in Chinese feng shui terms, you would find properties which are facing the sea and against a hill to be more expensive, to be valued a lot higher. And I think in feng shui terms, it's because if you've got a hill behind you, you've almost got support from the back, but then you've got the openness of the sea in front of you. It seems to be quite similar for, for ancient Koreans. This actually goes as far as influencing the shape of the building, as well as the material with which the house is constructed. And then I looked at some pictures of, you know, more like illustrations rather than photos, of how traditional Korean houses have an inner wing and an outer wing. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with you know, a lot of ancient Chinese architecture, for example, in the Forbidden City um, and in the Royal Palace, mm -hmm. houses are like built kind of like in a in a square. So you would have four separate wings, but making up a square. And that's quite a popular structure. And in ancient Korea, apparently wealthier people might use the outer wing for receptions. You know, they'll live in the inner wing, but they'll have a party space, essentially while the poorer might keep cattle there. Generally speaking, the wealthier the family, the larger the house, but it was forbidden for anyone except the king to have a resident of more than 99 can, which I also had to look up. Um, can is a traditional measure of distance between two pillars, which is about two meters. Very appropriate, given current situation. I know. <laughs> and so... I guess what it means is if, if you imagine the pillars supporting the house and each distance would be, you know, two pillars with a distance of two meters in between, you can't have a house bigger than 40 of those unless you're the king. I am really interested on that point you said about the buildings facing south because mm. that's something I think you still find and it's still true today, right? Like I know certainly when people think about purchasing property one of the first things you get out is like you get out your compass and you think which way does this face is it north facing south facing where is the sun going to be mm. at certain points of the day yeah and i think generally speaking most in most cultures the sun is definitely a source of positive energy which is why yes. i guess you know but 
could be for different reasons as well. Like they don't have sun, you know, they don't have electricity before, right? So probably a bit rubbish if you face north and <laughs> you're just in darkness for the whole day. Yeah. What I found that was super, super impressive, however, was that floor heating has been used in Korea since prehistoric times. Like underfloor heating, like you get in the bathroom? Yeah, so I went down a rabbit hole and went to look at how they did it. So you know how in some films you can see that American houses are built with like a gap between your actual floorboards and the actual ground underneath? So similarly, they would have probably a space of at least a foot or two of a gap underneath the house. And then what they would do is coat both top and bottom, you know, all the surfaces with something that's a fire retardant. But then they'll be burning coal in that space. So the whole house is heated. Yeah. And they would, you know, pack it with mud to like insulate it and all of that. So I thought that was super clever, like really advanced. The archaeological discovery of these sites must have been fascinating when they were made. Yeah, and I think on that, you know, I've always found it such a such an impressive thing that back in the day before we had electricity, before anything, people had ice. Like, that to me is incredible. People would transport massive blocks of ice from, you know, the Arctic, the Antarctica, wherever that's cold enough, and just keep ice quick detour um just a slight note on traditional clothes so i didn't find too much information on that but remember i mentioned to you this ancient korean drama that i used to watch growing up um so i went and looked is this like a telenovela but korean style not as dramatic um so sorry to our listeners we are going off tangents all the time but Korean dramas there's you know very very similar to I guess tv shows in every country there are always ancient history ones and there are modern ones and I think the ancient history ones to to keep it in the same tone of you know people's mannerisms it will never be as dramatic you know there won't be any people swearing or people like shouting there's just none of that so it's a period drama yes and but I do find Korean TV shows to be very dramatic in their storyline. There is always a bad guy who is really bad. Like, you will grow to hate him or her. And then there's always some tragedy. I think it's a formula that they've realized works every time. But sorry, back to this TV show I grew up watching. Um, so the traditional costume is called hanbok, uh, which actually in Chinese words means Korean, like, clothes. Um, and it consists of a shirt and a loose skirt. So it's a maxi one. It reaches your shoes. It covers your shoes, really. And both men and women wear the same. Uh, fabric can be super different. Um, and apparently ancient Koreans used to use clothes to distinguish between classes and wealth. Wealthier ladies could also accessorize with a necklace with a pendant. But common people were often restricted to wearing plain, undyed clothes. But same formula. So, shirt, skirt. I don't know about underwear. I'm going to hazard a guess, similar to everybody else in the world, underwear was a late invention. Favourite topic time? Food. Yes. So now, rice obviously is a well-known staple of Korean cuisine. Um, But also fermented foods. 
right? Fish, vegetables, and most notably kimchi, which everybody knows about, and things like kombucha. They've also developed ceremonial foods, which are used for special occasions, such as when a child reaches a hundred days, which you know, as we've covered, is also celebrated in Chinese culture. Yeah, the hundred day banquet. Yeah, and also a child's first birthday, weddings, sixtieth birthday, and they also have ritual foods. Now, interestingly, these ritual foods, so they call them temple foods. You can't use the common strong flavored ingredients of Korean cuisine, which are garlic, spring onion, leek, ginger, and something called wild rocambole. Again, loads of googling preparing for this episode. Um, it's apparently a type of wild onion. It sounds very like Jainism, where you can't have anything <laughs> that's from like a root. Yeah. So I didn't go. Deep into the detail, you know, of religion and all of that, but apparently Korean religion is a whole mix of Buddhism, Taoism, um, shamanism. Yeah, like there's a lot of that. I can see um, that. Well, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Um, and also meat. Sorry. So basically, vegetarian and mild for temple foods, which I think is similar as well in Chinese culture and lots of other cultures. And so, as I mentioned. Briefly, one of the ceremonies is a child's first birthday. Now, apparently, this has traditionally always been a massive deal,、um, which is really interesting.、Um, it's called doljanchi, and the highlight of the ceremony is called the doljabi. I was gonna say, can you guess what it is? But you won't, because this is really rogue. So basically, you will have your child's first birthday party. You know, loads of food, loads of family, friends. But this particular highlight bit, doljabi, is where you place your child in front of various items of objects, usually about six to eight. The child is then encouraged to grab one or two items from the set of objects, where each choice would represent a certain future of the child with respect to his or her career, lifestyle. So I went. Then I went on another rabbit hole. <laughs> and looked at how people organize this, right? What if you only put things in front of the child that are like of a particular profession, so they've got no choice? Well, so I think the point is, you you should be putting out an array of things, but you know, understandably, I think parents might have certain wants and desires. <laughs> so, slight sidebar:、uh, one of my friends on her daughter's first birthday. She actually got each of us to write down what we think she's gonna become. How can you tell at one what the child is going to do? Well, exactly. So that's just basically a wild guess.、Um, and but she said she'll keep them and look at them when she turns eighteen, which I thought was quite cute. I'm not being dismissive because, to be fair, if you believe in the traditional way of doing things. People have like their horoscopes read, and apparently you can also be told like what your vocation or like your career path is going to be from that as well. But again, that just depends on if you believe in it or not. Yeah, and I think you know a lot of these traditions, which I'm sure you know you're familiar with as well. You know, with your family, a lot of the traditions I think are done for the then and there almost. You know, not not really with a full belief that it's going to come true. You know, it's it's more of a let's do this because it's tradition. I mean, 
nobody would have guessed we would have become technology consultants. <laughs> the things that we work in, I mean, particularly things that you and I work in, didn't exist when we were born. Exactly. So I think actually, you know, in 18 years time, when this baby becomes an adult, I think it would be almost like a time capsule view of what was going on 18 years ago, right? Because I think a lot of people jokingly expect that by the time this generation of baby becomes ad- become adults, there might not be jobs anymore, right? So I think it would still be interesting, actually, to, to just as a reminder of what was going on at the time. Um, but anyway, so the examples I saw include things like using a gavel for a judge or a lawyer, which I hope it's a toy one because I don't think it's appropriate to put a gavel in front of a child. Probably like a toy hammer. Yeah, um, you know, typical things like a stethoscope for a doctor, piggy bank or money for an entrepreneur and things like that. When I was looking into the whole birthday situation, it reminded me of something that I learned from a Korean friend of mine. And I don't know if you already know this, but they calculate age very yeah. differently. Yes, I do know this. Yeah. So they count their birthday from basically like the month they were conceived. So when they're yeah. born, yeah. they're already nine months old. When you're born, it's already rounded up. So you're born one year old. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So when someone tells you they're 20, they're probably 18 or 19 in real lifetime. But also in Korea you increase your age count on the 1st of January, not on your birthday. The international age, as they call it, measures how long you have actually lived. But Korean age measures how many years you have experienced, right? So let me give you an example. I think it it might give some context to this. So for example, let's say you were born on the 31st of December of 2010. So this child is already one year old. But a day or two later, although the child is still only three days old in international age, he or she will already be two years old in Korean age because everybody gains a year when a new year begins. This is so confusing. I know. In Korea, it probably isn't because they are used to calculating it and working out, you know, what your age really is. But here, when um, this happened to me that, a girl at uni introduced herself and then told us she was 20, which mm. isn't that unusual, you know, if you're a first year. Like, I was 18, she was 20. I was like, oh, okay, maybe she took a gap year, etc. Mm. But then when she actually started talking about something, she referenced something, and I was like, oh, wait, I was there at that time, and I was th- this old. How old was Like, why are you? And then it kind of, she was like, oh, this is because actually in reality I'm 18. And I was like, yeah. Oh. So... Apparently, to keep things simple, exactly to avoid situations like that, all international documents show their international age. So, same as everybody else. But the way I think it works in Korean society is that, you know, for most people, not just women, for most people, it's a bit weird to just randomly ask for someone's age. Like, it's not something, you know, if I meet someone for the first time, I won't say, how old are you? It's considered quite rude, isn't it? Exactly. But Koreans consider this quite a natural question in an initial conversation because they need to figure out how to address you and speak to you politely. The example I saw was that, let's say, someone who is, you know, like in your example, right? If you start at uni 
first year and you're 18, but maybe because of whatever reason, they also calculate to be 18 years old, but they could be in second year uni, like if they were a genius or something. They would need to find out how old you actually are in relation to them, because in, I guess, normal terms, they would be considered a senior to you, but they could be younger than you. And that changes how the dynamics are in that relationship. Apparently, when people talk about age in Korea, they don't say how old are you. They ask what year you are born, which makes it simpler. Yeah, I was just about to say date of birth is, is probably the easiest way. And when we say what year, um, do we mean in terms of the calendar year, you know, I was born in X year, or is it to do like the Chinese calendar? Is it associated with animals or some other type of calendar? I believe they use the Gregorian cal- calendar for these things. So by asking the birth year, they will be sure no matter Korean calculation or international calculation, they know if you are older or younger. To round up this episode, by the way, I read some pretty interesting things. So I, there, was, there was a lot of websites being like 80 most interesting things about Korea, but obviously I'm not going to labor on and list 80 things. So I just picked out a few that were particularly interesting. In 1999, South Korea passed a law that required all online shopping and banking to be done using Internet Explorer. It is still in place. So no other web browser? Nope. And it's to do with ActiveX control. For people who are so inclined, please feel free to go, you know, do some more research on this. Second thing I found was that very few South Koreans choose not to marry. And I think, you know, we're quite familiar with this concept in in our cultures, respectively. But an unmarried person is called a big baby in Korean slang, (laughs) which is quite mean. Um, And again, along the same veins of, you know, some similarities, I guess, with a, you know, Chinese or Indian culture, uh, apart from what was what's called yone, which is love marriage. Apparently, there is also chongmei, which is arranged marriage, which I wasn't aware of, actually, in Korea. But I'm not surprised. No. Although I didn't know that they explicitly had a term for it, I'm not surprised based on what you just told me about single people being called big babies. Okay, so 10-pin bowling was introduced to South Koreans by American GIs during the Korean War, and it's still very popular today. So people still like to go bowling? Mm-hmm. I quite like bowling. I think it's a really nice social thing to do, although I'm quite bad at it. Okay, so you know how, you know, we believe, okay, not we believe, but a lot of people read things like horoscopes and whatnot, yeah? Apparently South Koreans care a lot about someone's blood type, which is super rogue when I read it. Every person will know their blood type, just... Correct. I mean, I know my blood type, but it's more for... I think medical curiosity, but apparently um, they assign certain personalities and characteristics to each blood type, and people care about it enough to the point of, you know, determining, am I compatible with you if your blood type is X, Y, Z? That's fascinating because there is, and I don't know how accurate this is, but there are whole, you know, whole diets that are made up on blood Mm -hmm. types. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I guess compatibility when you talked about between two people. I was thinking from a medical standpoint, you'd want to make sure that there's nothing, I guess, in your 
makeup in your DNA that means you wouldn't be compatible if you were to ever have children or anything like that. I mean, so little is known, I think, about blood type and what it means, apart from who can donate to whom. So it'll be interesting to actually see if it matters. So the last bit of thing that I read was interesting. I guess, you know, a while ago we had a special episode talking about confinement and what people did after, you know, you give birth to a baby and stuff like that. So so I wrote this down, right? So for three weeks after a baby's birth in South Korea, what you would do is you would have a straw rope of chili peppers or pine needles known as kumjul hung across the door of the house to frighten away evil spirits and warn people not to enter. Seaweed soup and rice are also offered to Samsin Halmyoni, who is the Korean grandmother spirit, um, every morning and every evening for a week. These foods are also given to the new mother to speed up her recovery. I get the scaring away of like bad spirits. We mm. do that. I mean, we don't hang chilies, but we do it in a different way. Yeah, and I think, you know, we did talk about whether or not people should be visiting and all of that. And, and I think this is where traditions might make sense, might be sensible, because that's when everybody is recovering, you know, the mother's recovering, the new baby is still developing and, you know, all of that. And yeah, it kind of makes sense, I think, to warn people not to enter. But I'm intrigued with the seaweed soup because I was watching Ugly Delicious on Netflix. Great, Great show. Series. Amazing. And this is the newer series where David Chang's wife is pregnant. Congratulations. Um, and in one of the episodes, actually, I think he got his mum as well as Grace. Okay, I should not know his wife's name, but anyway. So his mum and his wife's mum to each cook their versions. And I think it is this seaweed soup with rice that they made. Is seaweed meant, I guess it must have really like healing properties. I know it's a good health food in general. Probably like minerals and a lot of those micronutrients. Amazing. I feel so much more cultured. It's not just about K-pop and great egg white face masks. <laughs> and and one day we will visit Korea. I feel like the culturally speaking like travel list is just constantly growing. We, we need to go on this like epic world tour. Yeah, take about what two years off of life <laughs> and just go travel. <laughs> exactly. So thank you for sharing that with us. And if anybody has any ideas about future episodes or things you'd like us to cover, please get in touch with us. You'll find all details in our show notes. You've been listening to Culturally Speaking with music by Kevin McLeod. Please rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're on. Get in touch with us on Instagram at Culturally Speaking Podcast or via email. You'll find all the details in our show notes. Tune in next week for more culture. Until then, stay cultured.